Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, a J10 initiative. Glory to Jesus Christ, Mikey. Glory to Jesus forever. So, is that right? Glory forever, yeah. Glory forever. <laughs> it, it, it's, it was never, English wasn't the original, so you have different translations, oh, right, of course. Yeah. But our, our Ruthenian church in the U.S. nowadays tends just to say glory forever or glory to him forever. So, Yeah, so anyway, we don't have much time for banter today because I need to run. I yeah. got an appointment down in Denver, but um, this this will be the banter. <laughs> He's pointing at me. <laughs> something these, kids I, something were, these kids were barking at me the other day. They said, pointing is rude. And I was just like, hey, what's her name? You know, like in a little crowd. <laughs> right. Pointing is rude. I'm like, well, okay. It's kids were saying that? Yeah. No, they are probably repeating what their parents said. Like little kids? Um, yeah, they were like, uh, I don't know, a range. Okay. Five to 12 or yeah. whatever. I guess for a five-year-old, if you're in public and they're like, why is that weird thing on that lady's head, you know? Yeah. Well, they were kind of playing, but oh, yeah, somebody okay. told them pointing is rude. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> okay go on. I was, I was pointing you to, because to, I remembered something. I don't know why that's the habit of pointing at you. Um, but something I realized last night that is really beautiful, like... Do you realize, like, I live in the basement here, and where my bed is, do you know what's right above my bed? The Blessed Sacrament the Blessed Chapel. Sacrament. And even the Blessed Sacrament. Like, like yep. pretty much my room is right, is, is, the, is the below the chapel, but where my bed is, is literally right below the tabernacle. Ooh. And I realized that, like, even the way it's set away, I didn't set it up this way, like, even the way it's set away apart from the wall like that a little bit. It's, it's on the left side of the chapel. It's, like, literally right underneath the Blessed Sacrament. Wait, so you kind of have an advantage in this house. I feel like I was like, because Goebel's right above it. Oh, he is? I don't know if he set up. Did he do that intentionally? I don't know. I don't but know. I, I only thought of this last time. I've lived here, lived here two months. But I realized as I was kind of orienting myself, like to, to the setup of the house, that, yeah, I mean, like where we're sitting now, so the studio's in my bedroom, but, but where we are right now is, is right below the chapel, and, and my bed is right below the Blessed Sacrament. So it's like, yeah. It was oh, that just, is nice. It was kind of a beautiful little thought. I know. Yeah. That, right. Yeah, that's beautiful. Well, just to have like that constant reminder yeah. of prayer in the Lord's presence. You know, I, need to do, I need to put like a sticker on the roof or something like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, like, like just to remind myself as I lay down, lamp. like there's a little cross or something up there, a little yeah. icon or something on the roof. Yeah, a little sanctuary lamp, I like that, on the roof. So it's like, remember, right? you're, you're literally looking up at that right where the Blessed Sacrament oh, is. Oh, man, that's cool. Yeah. All right. Well, now I'm jealous. Go, go on. <laughs> You are, oh, you're kind of on the other opposite side of the house, aren't no, you? No, I'm on the opposite side of the house. Yeah. Okay. God is good. I'm close. But. Yeah, amen. Amen. It's, it's so nice that we have permission um, to have the Blessed Sacrament in our houses yeah, as companions. Yeah. All right. Um, so uh, I want to, we need to do a really short podcast. And, and one of the things that I, when I got ordained, I think I went the first eight years of my priesthood never reading anything except the Bible and only in the pieces that were necessary for my next homily. So I, I did very little reading. Just time-wise? Yeah. I mean, like, I've known you to have book clubs and all that stuff. Well, that, that's all recently. I oh. mean, so the book clubs, I mean, it wasn't until, until I became a companion that I had this view of, like, the companions encourage intellectual life. And mm. they encourage good fiction reading, too. And so, which is true, we do. And so yeah. I really, like, threw myself back into it. So that's actually why I started going to Jelly was because it was just like, it, it forced me to, while I was sitting at the bar reading or eating, I would also be reading. And so that's mm. how I got started. But I don't, I mean, I, do, I can't believe, like, I am so filled 
nowadays by what I'm reading. Yeah. Like everything I read blows my mind. I mean, I don't. It it's just great. It's weird it's great to be reading. Yeah, and we get we get good, good good recommendations from people too. But everything I read, I, I just think about all the time, and and I, like I love that. It's it's not an escape. It's just it's another world that 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 um that. <sighs> It just it saturates this world with something deeper. It's like it's like it's good art that's transcendent. And so you mm. you read these even like with the, what I'm about to talk about is nonfiction. Like you read these things and like they just they remain with me. They kind of sit in my yeah. mind and they, they tend to inform my attitude and they intend to inform. And that's what good art should do. You know, it it, it should yeah. it should affect us in a real. It should be nearly sacramental. I mean, like what what we're reading, what, what we're perceiving in art, the beauty um, shows us something transcendent. Shows us God, and that should affect actually affect our life. People who who don't think that art. Or, or like what what they're letting into their soul affects their life. Like they, they, I've said this before on the podcast, but like they, they're they're having to force that, and it's probably not true. It probably is affecting their life, but they're they're trying to hold back true art because true art should affect our life. What we expose our to ourselves to should affect our behavior, should affect our mindset. So yeah. anyway, um, it's kind of like I guess the thought I had was you, you're consuming a lot of stuff all the time, and that we just have a consumer culture. Yeah. So then you kind of forget like say you're you you eat too much all the time mm-hmm. then you forget that there's like a actual function to this right <laughs> right there's a purpose yeah and um that it's you're getting that you know it's feeding you it's forming you it's you know you, uh changing your changing your body or yeah. feeding your body or making it unhealthy or whatever yeah. um and then sometimes along the way even though you're kind of numb to it because you're eating so much that you're not attentive um, you could be struck by a flavor or something and be mm. like, man, that is, you know, I got that jalapeno in that pasta yesterday right. and I was like, woo, that's there. Yeah. You know, and I think the good, the good art sort of stands out with all that consumption. You know, I'm watching, listening to music, that's art. I'm listening, I'm watching TV, that's art. I'm watching movies, that's art. It's like constant, you know, yeah. um, seeing things, but it kind of comes and goes real quick. Yeah. In one in in one ear, in one eye, out the other, <laughs> and and I and I wonder if that's exactly what it is. In other words, we think we think that oh, I'm I'm going to set aside this time to listen to music or to watch a movie or or you know to good television show, whatever it is. I'm going to set this time aside, and because I want it to affect me. But if even if if twenty four seven or at least when we're wait, awake, everything is affecting us. And I think that that that's part of the point. It is in a sense one in one eye, you know, out yeah. there, whatever it is, but, but, the, but there, there, these things do affect us. And, and that's, there's this idea of the noose uh, in the East, the intellect. It, it's almost like I consider it the bouncer on the heart or the bouncer on the Ooh. soul. It's like, um, it's, it's the, um, it's the mind that, that guards the door of what comes in and what comes out. Ooh. And we need to form like this, through virtue. Noose. Yeah. Through virtue and through the acceptance of grace, we need to form that, that bouncer, like to, to make sure that what we, what we let in and what, what goes out is pure and good and holy and building up the kingdom yeah. of God. And, and the, the, the way that we form that is, is a beautiful thing. And that's, I think we don't, we don't realize how much watching stupid videos on yeah. YouTube like I did last night for too long and didn't get much sleep, you know. Yeah. Um, I just watched a lot, bunch of live music from some bands. They're I, fun. I it's good. Like they can- are. eye yeah. candy, it's entertaining. Yeah, it, it is it's not, feels nothing, good. nothing bad. You, wrong you were in, on, on, on sick, what do, you, what do you call it? Bed rest. So it's right. nice to have a little bit of entertainment, but yeah. it's like Ignatius of Loyola, you know? What changed his life was switching from all this 
kind of uh, romances and then the nights it's he was basically reading about superheroes of his mm. time uh, right and then he switches over and starts reading about saints because yeah. there's nothing else to read and okay. it just goes deep yeah. changes his whole life you yeah. know sets a new trajectory and everything yeah. but i think the the power of the book way more than these little videos i mean i laugh i remember sometimes i recommend them to people or whatever right but i forget most of it and the book makes you slow down it makes mm. you pay attention. It engages so much of your mind and your imagination yeah. that it is it just goes deep, yeah. you know. And for, for better or worse, I mean, you can read stuff that's bad yeah. for you too. Oh yeah, you got to talk to that noose about some of it, right? Exactly, <laughs> and, and, and it, it can engage us in a way that is non-helpful. Yeah. Right. There, there was uh, something on NPR the other day as I was driving, and this woman was kind of saying what we're losing by even by only reading off of tablets. You know, and I mean, she, she was saying like, like when we when we lose the physical pages, we're losing something. And and uh, somebody called in and said, well, what about like Audible? What about listening to audiobooks? Mm. And and she said, well, th- that's not as bad, but there's it's still you're still losing some uh, some of the very human tangible yeah. page turning and reading books on the page. But I listen to Audible now more than I read. Yeah. Um, and just because of my commute now that I have, and so, but I really do. I think it is so human to also hear something being read to you. Yeah. You know, it's 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 very human to read something, but I it seems almost more human to me to listen to a story. I mean, this is how the scriptures were not intended originally to be read. They were intended to be heard. Yep. You know, pr- proclaimed. That's true. Yeah. You hear the so there's something about hearing and most something people read. couldn't read. Exactly. And they would listen to stories, but they could they developed like very sophisticated sort of attention skills and memory so you yeah. you know, they the way that they could hear it was uh, much more engaged. But did, did you know that that's where Romeo Julieta and Monte Cristo cigars, where the names from those come from? So Romeo and Julieta and Monte Cristo were the stories that the cigar rollers were listening to while they were oh, rolling cigars. Cigar, cigar guy. Oh yeah. So I mean, so well, they yeah, really have somebody cool. reading these stories while they're rolling cigars, and they would name the cigars the after Count the of Monte Cristo and Count of Monte Cristo and Romeo and Juliet. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Um, so anyway. I only have 10 minutes now before I need to leave. So. All right, we got to talk this Jean Vanier <laughs> yeah. book. So anyway, I, and I, I, after saying that, so um, Goebel, Father Nathan, um, gave us this book that he wanted to talk about by Jean Vanier. It's not a book, really. It's a, uh, what does Goebel call it? He called, he said it yesterday during the, when he was talking about Thin it. Thin gold. Thin gold. It, it's 50 something pages. It's two lectures that Jean Vanier gave at Harvard. Um, Jean Vanier uh, is a, he founded the L'Arche Communities, um, these are communities where people live, um, people that, that want to live a life of community, live in a community with those who have mental disabilities. Yeah. And it started because I think he was a, I think he got his doctorate in moral philosophy, if I'm not mistaken. Anyway, he was, he was working and he was, he was upwardly mobile. I mean, he was really in Is the he Canadian or French. He's yeah. French Canadian. French Canadian. Yeah. So okay. he, so he, he was, li- he was upwardly mobile making like really oriented towards earthly success, worldly success, um, obviously a bright guy moving up in the world. And then he invited in two mentally handicapped people to live with him. Yeah, it just and felt it, like God was calling him to do it. Yeah, and, and it, it rocked his world. I mean, it, it changed everything about him. And so then he founded um, these Larsh communities, and you spell Larsh is, is L apostrophe A-R-C-H-E. It just means the ark. Um, most of you have probably heard about this. Um, I, I heard about it from Chaput years ago. Uh, but 
I just I, I want to I know we don't have that much time, but uh, this these two lectures are called from brokenness to community. Uh, put out by Paulus Press, um, From Brokenness to Community. The first lecture is on brokenness, the second lecture is on community, um, but it's kind of a, tr- a transition from our own and the other's brokenness and how that brokenness is is dealt with and lived with and engaged with and, and healed, you know, in a way, through yeah. community. Um, but I, I want to mention a couple passages from this and, and obviously get your feedback, Mikey. But um, I just want to read one story. I want to read the story. I don't think you got this far, did you? You said you had no, about 20 pages. No, I only got through half of it, but I'm, I'm so, a, a huge fan now. Yeah, so I bear mean, with me. I'm, I'm just going to read this. I'm looking forward to reading this about 10 times in the yeah. next Oh, month. exactly. I, I, I've already read it a few times. I actually am part of a, a shout out to Pauline Meert. I'm part of a podcast club. So we, we listen to podcasts and then talk about it. And I uh-huh. actually brought this as my podcast, even though it wasn't a podcast. I cheated, but um, who's <laughs> nice. going to tell me not to? Um, so anyway, he, here's the beginning of the community portion. And just, I'm sorry, bear with me, but this is a beautiful story he writes. During the synod concerned with the vocation and the role of the laity in the Roman Catholic Church, which took place in Rome in 1987, the faith and light communities of Rome invited all the bishops to come to a gathering of their communities made up of people with intellectual disabilities, their parents, and their many friends, especially young people. Only a few bishops came. The community of L'Arche in Rome came also with Armando, an amazing eight-year-old boy they had welcomed. Armando cannot walk or talk and is very small for his age. He came to us from an orphanage where he had been abandoned. He no longer wanted to eat because he no longer wanted to live, cast off from his mother. He was desperately thin and was dying of lack of food. After a while in our community where he found people who held him, loved him, and wanted him to live, he gradually began to eat again and to develop in a remarkable way. He still cannot walk or talk or eat by himself. His body is twisted and broken, and he has a fear of mental disability. But when you pick him up, his eyes and his whole body quiver with joy and excitement and say, I love you. He has a deep therapeutic influence on people. I asked one of the bishops if he wanted to hold Armando in his arms. He did. I watched the two of them together as Armando settled into his arms and started to quiver and smile, his little eyes shining. Half an hour later, I came to see if the bishop wanted me to take Armando back. No, no, he replied. I could see that Armando, in all his littleness, I could see that Armando, in all his littleness, but with all the power of love in his heart, was touching and changing the heart of that bishop. Bishops are busy men. They have power, and they frequently suffer acts of aggression, so they have to create solid defense mechanisms. But someone like Armando can penetrate the barriers they and all of us create around our hearts. Armando can awaken us to love and to call forth the well of living waters and of tenderness hidden inside of us. Armando is not threatening. He does not awaken our sexuality. He just says, I love you, and I love being with you. Mm. So, like, just the, the again, I, I just love, he says, very few bishops came because they didn't have time. Um, this bishop came and, and bishops are attacked, you know, more than we priests are more than, you know, most people are, you know, my brother's a cop. He and I talk about the, the various attacks that we suffer um, because of the sins of others. Um, but, but there's something about, you know, the, 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 his defense mechanisms that kind of he has to put up because he's a bishop and because he is used to getting attacked and the fact that he came to this event and, and did, I, I just thought that was a, that yeah. was a beautiful story and very telling of 
kind of what Javanier's mission is. Yeah. Of seeing the weakness, especially the weakness of others. Yeah. And letting that be reveal power and strength in our lives. Yeah. There's this paradox that he really appreciates. Um, that's kind of a mystery to a lot of us, but having lived the way he has with, um, with people with disabilities um, for a long time, it's not like he lives, he lives with people with obvious disabilities, yeah. you know, mental handicaps, physical, you know, physical handicaps, inability to speak or hear whatever, all this stuff. Um, but he's very honest and has recognized that everyone has disabilities, mm-hmm. but it's the soul that's kind of um, twisted and, and challenged for most. Yeah. And um, part of human life is being loved into this sort of wholeness and healing. And this gave him a sort of visual of that and really awakened to himself that his own brokenness and his own um, disability and imperfection, d- difficulty loving ultimately, because yeah. that's our, our destiny, that's our vocation, is to love. And, and so his encounter with the disabled, and you could say generally with the poor, you know, the, the weak somehow, um, showed him his own weakness, but also that it kind of called into question all these contemporary assumptions that he's inherited and that everybody lives by about the value of life, you know? Um, Something like, uh, I mean, people are, around the world, people are killing disabled babies, you know? If in the womb you find out your child might be disabled, you you just get rid of them. And he's saying, this is crazy because this is like a, a, a class of people in the world that have always been part of the the human dynamic that are exceptional lovers and simple, innocent, you know, um, lights to the world. And, um, but if you say the only value in life is if you can succeed or if you can make your own joy or you can have a family or contribute to society in certain ways, then you totally lose track of what life is about. And then you live for the wrong things. Yeah. So this woke him up. He, he like you said, a successful guy who was kind of making his life and everything, to the reality that what's most valuable and what's most dignified in his own life is to love people and to learn to be loved. Yeah. And that goal is not easily achieved. Most of the time, we're trying to do stuff. Remember, he's got that thing about win, 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 win. Yeah. That's what we're trying to do. We want to win. Yeah. Something, whatever it is. And he's saying that's not, he's discovered that it's not even what life is about. And but most people would say that if, if, if the point is, is upward mobility and winning, then someone with these handicaps is only going to get in the way. You yeah. know, with these disabilities, is only right. getting in the way. And, it's and their life, they, they can't do it. Right. right. And, 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 and so, like, for most people nowadays, like you said, how many Down syndrome babies are aborted in the womb and, and, and killed, you know, like people are running away from or destroying people with disabilities because they have control and they have power, but he's running to them. And the people of the large communities are running to and engaging with what the world is saying to throw away. And it's that, that the, the deep insight, the, the eyes of faith that allow people that are part of these communities to say, and even parents, parents of children with disabilities. I mean, all the people that, that, that love 
people that are that are weak and broken in some way. They're running towards and appreciating what other people are throwing away and destroying. And there there's something so incredibly beautiful to that desire to say, I desire what most people are abhorred of yeah. and they're afraid of. What other people are afraid of, I desire to be close to. And that is so incredibly Christian and so yeah. incredibly beautiful to see the beauty in what other people are afraid of. And the, and the value, I mean, he's not, this is, this I kind of learned from him. It's not idealism and it's not pity because that's condescending. Right. You actually take away someone's value right. when you say, oh, let me take care of you. Oh, you know, like, I believe that you're valuable. Right. Now, like, nobody wants that. Right. And we're, part of our life is afraid to show our weaknesses because we don't want people to treat us like that. Yeah. You know, we want people to actually recognize real value in us yeah. and not pity and condescend about you know, like weaknesses. Yeah. But the point is, he gets in there, he's not threatened by it, and he's learned that there is extraordinary value here. Yeah. The kind of thing, I want these folks to be my friend. Right. You know? And then you discover, like, okay, these other people around me, you know, that don't seem to have these particular disabilities or whatever, but are struggling in the same way every human is to be healthy and to be whole and to be, you know, to love... I can I can draw close to them. Yeah. You know, friendship is possible. Love is possible. I can sh- I can honor their their value and dignity and praise them for the beauty of their life and soul and you know person. Yeah. And friendship, and then I can be honored in the same way. Yeah. I can find my own dignity. Yeah. So he's kind of like got this the secret to um, like allowing yourself to live with poverty and with the poor is it both reveals to you your own poverty and weakness mm-hmm. and lets you kind of settle on the same level right. and be a peer. And then at the same time, it totally lifts everybody, um, showing this much deeper and more profound and beautiful um, value in each of, the, each of the persons, even in the self. You know? I, think, I think one of the things that these communities do and th- those who, who live and love with people who have uh, these very obvious disabilities is it's almost like sacramental. Like I go on Sunday and I, or, you know, if I go to daily mass, whatever I, I go on and I receive the Eucharist and it's the body of Christ. And it's very like, it looks like bread and wine. I'm receiving it very intentionally. I'm standing in a church. It's, it's very obviously a sacrament and a beautiful thing. We, we in the church have done that well, but throughout the rest of the week, I'm still among the body of Christ, which is the people, you know, the people of God. And then there, there's like help, receiving the body of Christ in the Eucharist helps me to see that more clearly, the body of Christ in the, in the mm. people. And so I almost think that's what sometimes like I could use a retreat, like a week of just going to a large community, hanging out with them and, and, and receiving from them what everybody receives when they go spend time with them. You know, it's, a, it's just a, a joy in our brokenness. You know, you see the brokenness of somebody else and you, you receive joy from how worthy and how beautiful and how, how, how that person reveals God. And then I go into, back into my real life and I start to see my own brokenness, first of all, and how beautiful that mm. can be if dealt with in the right way. And I also start to see the brokenness of people that are not as obvious. You know, the really arrogant people in my life. And in my own arrogance, like, I'm like, that, that, that comes from a place of brokenness. You know, the people that seem so healthy. You know, I, I love the story in the scriptures of the rich young ruler. It's like he had everything. He had wealth. 
He had youth. He had power. He had everything, and yet he could not give away to the poor to be perfect. I yeah. mean, people would have thought he, he went was perfect. away sad. He went away mel- melancholic, sad. Exactly. So there's, there, like, he, he didn't see his brokenness because he was distracted by all these other things. And um, I imagine, you know, um, so there's a sense where sometimes it's good to go serve the homeless because they have such an obvious need, and I walk away feeling good. But as my mom would say to me over and over again as a kid, charity begins at home. If if you're always out with the homeless, you're missing the the need for charity and self gift yeah. in your own household. But we need the work with the poor sometimes in order to see the need of those yeah. around us and to see our own need in that way too. Yeah. All right. Well, Mikey. and just to know that it's possible, it's a challenge when you meet an Armando who's uh, can love really easily and just pour out affection yeah. and smile genuinely and everything, and you say like, "Oh man, I didn't even know that was possible." Yeah. I thought love was really hard right, because yeah. I'm an adult, I'm cynical, I've grown, you know, wise. Yeah. I know the world, you know, yeah. the ways of the world. But, yeah. Man, that's not heaven. That's yeah. not life. That's not how you have to live. And then I'm challenged. I'm like, well, how? why don't I just pour out love to people like yeah. that? I mean, because I'll look stupid or I'll, yeah. you know, feel weird. Or I, But that's the challenge. It's like, this is possible. In one way... Love is so hard that it is impossible because it's the cross. And it's complete self-gift. And that is love, which is impossible for us, but nothing is impossible for God. And yet, the paradox of love, love is impossible and complete self-gift because it's the cross, but doable through Christ. But also, love is as simple as an eight-year-old, severely mentally and physically handicapped boy just being present to a very powerful bishop. Mm-hmm. You know, it's that simple and also that complicated and hard, and that's why we'll never get it right. But thank God for Christ, He did. So, yeah. yeah. Well, God bless the poor. Thank you, John Vanier, yeah, for your holy life and your. Um, and sorry, answering this, grace. This topic is deserving of a much longer podcast, but I'm already going to be late for my appointment. Find so. this book; it's very short, yep. fifty-two pages, big print. It's a quick, quick read because it's really just two lectures. Yep. From so, Brokenness to Community, Jean Vanier, J-E-A-N-V-A-N-I-E-R, Paulus Press, $6.95. Totally worth it. All right. Thank you. Sorry, all. Short podcast. Wow, well, uh, you keep saying that. Don't, don't apologize. Know. It's a it's great a podcast. Amen. Listen twice. All right, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> God bless you all. <laughs> Catholic Stuff Podcast at gmail.com. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, yeah. Right up, well, probably after the New Year now, but yeah. Happy New Year. Happy 2019. If the world still exists, Jesus might have come back by now. Oh, dude, are you this one of those was. guys? <laughs> Y2K conspiracy guys? No, it's just a second yeah, coming. Could you never know. You never know. Why does it have to happen on the New Year's? I, at least after Seek. Let's get to Seek, okay. Jesus. Right. Please. It'll be he fun. does listen to you. <laughs> and Villa. <laughs> Later. Bye.